Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of a Chat About History with me, Tom. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the Roman Republic and 19th century Britain, and kind of looking into the political motivations for certain decisions, um, particularly surrounding citizenship in the Roman Republic, and then the right to vote in 19th century Britain. Um, and looking whether this was motivated by genuine concern or political opportunism, and then also seeing how that possibly resonates with the political situation right now in the context uh, of the aftermath of the US election and issues of who is enfranchised and disenfranchised in the politics today. Uh, so I guess the the main thing, the main themes we're going to be picking up on today is um, this concept of new voters and voters that uh, political leaders can can access to increase their um, to increase their vote count on election day uh, within a within a democracy, and also then the motivations for doing this and whether actually are these people motivated and are these politicians motivated by the idea that everyone has a right to vote, um, or are they more motivated by the fact that they think by giving this vote to these people they will then vote for them, uh, a bit like a quid pro quo with these new voters and also I guess how can we ever know what their motivations really were so if we get started with the Roman Republic uh, so the main issue here is around citizenship so what that actually meant in the Roman Republic was you, you have protection of Roman laws uh, which a uh, clear example of this is in Cicero's uh, uh, court case against Verres, uh, he highlights, you know, Verres' really bad treatment of, of prisoners, and actually the prisoner stated he was a Roman citizen, so he had he had the right to, to not be treated so badly. And also, fundamentally, citizenship meant the vote. Interestingly, only for men and women could be citizens, but they couldn't vote or hold office, which is, um, uh, you know, we'll pick up on later. But, so that's kind of what being Ro a Roman citizen meant in the times of the in the times of the Republic. And this proved quite a... The, the idea of citizenship and who had access to it was quite a contentious issue. So it was possibly first picked up on... It's always bubbling away, but it was possibly per, first picked up on, sorry, by a Gaius Gracchi, who was... I guess the simplest way to describe him was like a radical reformer, or again, possibly a political opportunist. It's hard to, hard to tell exactly, but... Um, uh, that he possibly suggested the extension of the franchise to the Latins in one two five, with the with the idea of increasing his vote count, or as he was a radical reformer in uh, supporting the belief that they'd support, yeah, that they support him, or alternatively that he thought they had the right to vote. Um, but either way, this this vote uh, was not granted to the Latins, and Garscrax was actually murdered relatively soon after. But this issue does come to a real head. In the uh, Social War, which lasted from 91 through 88 BC, and the Social War is when actually Italians had decided they'd had enough, and by Italians I mean the Latin communities that weren't granted Roman citizenship, and they, you know, they had they were under lots of obligations to the Roman Empire, surrounding military service, um, etc. And then, so they revolted against Rome in the Social or Italian War and against um. Sulla, who was um, a dictator in Rome at the time, uh, 
and this 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 war you know went went through and there was no decisive decisive victories to the point where the Sulla and the Romans did win but they um they said that any Italians who laid down their arms could be granted Roman citizenship so this obviously left the enfranchisement of all of the Roman citizens or the enfranchisement sorry of all of the Latins to become Roman citizens and in this sense you can see here that actually clearly this this carrot has been given to the Roman citizens and they can now become and they sorry it's been given to the Latins and they can now become Roman citizens but this is purely in the eyes of Sulla for the motivation that he can you know help him with his with his war um, and securing the success of that and the stability of Rome so in that sense we can see clearly here that you know the the grant of citizenship has been motivated predominantly by um, political means and you know opportunism rather than the idea that there's a genuine concern for the Latin community around Rome but although this obviously this grant of citizenship occurred it's still citizenship is still used as a tool by political leaders such as Julius Caesar and so Caesar was obviously pretty radical in his influences on the Republic with the fact that he um excuse me with the fact that he uh, obviously you know eventually declared himself dictator before he was assassinated. But in, uh, in 59 BC, Caesar settled 5,000 Latins in a colony and grants them all citizenship. And he also goes beyond that in granting citizenship to 500 Greek men. Um, and in this sense, he immediately achieved the political support of all the new citizens that he had he, that he'd granted. And he'd also kind of treated the people in his own province um, as as citizens as well. So we can see clearly again here, Caesar is trying to gain the support of these people um, and extra votes by granting citizenship. But interestingly here, there's a lashback in 50 BC with the Roman Senate actually decreeing that all these new residents in the colony, the residents in the colony, uh, were not new citizens. Showing, showing kind of here how there's a bit of back and forth and there's actually there's a clear reluctance by certain authorities to allow other people to freely grant citizenship to um, their people they want to politically support them. So in the case of the Roman Empire, this clearly, uh, sorry, the Roman Republic at this point, this clearly demonstrates the tensions between the central authority, the Senate, and the personal and independent political movements of individuals who are vying for power within the context of the Roman Republic. Uh, and you know this this problem continues, and when Caesar's consul in forty six and forty five BC, uh, between those two years, uh, he he grants citizenship really generally, gen generously, massively again increasing his support. So I guess when when to the final end of this problem, some people consider social war, but I think we've just shown that actually citizenship still becomes a contentious issue uh, after that with how Caesar uses it. Some would say you know well what about when it becomes the empire? Because then there's a central authority, or, or there's a central body through Augustus and the subsequent empires that actually can regulate. And in that sense, you don't have the individual politicians trying to gain more power for themselves because there's more there's a there's a more central, powerful authority that you know was more authoritative than the Senate was in the days of the Republic. Um, that's kind of where I think the issue starts to starts to decline in relevance. But ultimately, in um, two one two A.D. 
the edicts of Caracalla, uh, full citizenship is granted to all free men in the Roman Empire. So, I mean, taking a brief look back over all of that, we can see kind of actually in the Roman Republic, citizenship was was a political tool more so than it was a that it was um, a genuine concern for other people in the sense that, as we can see, when it's granted to in the context of war, in the context of individuals trying to achieve more votes for themselves in a republic defined by individual opportunism and individual scheming against one another. But underlying tension here as well is the complete disregard for the, the whole gender in that women, whilst they could be given citizenship, were never allowed the vote. And also the tension around slaves where obviously as property or perceived as property at that time, um, they weren't granted the you know the vote or citizenship either. Whereas women were citizens, but they just could not vote or stand for office. So I guess these kind of social and um, you know gender divisions illustrate how it wasn't just geographic exclusivity surrounding surrounding citizenship, but also um, but also you know in, inherited status, whether that's through a slave or you know your birth as as a woman. And you know it's also interesting that no politician in Rome ever suggested that a woman, a woman should have the vote because obviously if one did that by this in the context we're looking at it they could have access to votes from all the women who held Roman citizenship currently but just couldn't vote but so I, I think that's something interesting because it wasn't even fathomable to any Roman politician to say that women or slaves had um had, had the right to vote during the Republic and that really ties into you know stereotypes and prejudices that were held by by the Roman people when it could actually have been in their personal benefit but it just wasn't wasn't on the cards in their mind because they never even comprehended it and also a possible loss of political support from other people who equally could not comprehend the idea that um, women or slaves could have citizenship so I guess we'll move on now after looking at the Roman public and how it was used as a political tool to 19th century Britain and this kind of surrounds Disraeli and um, he you know reforms that he enacted and how that kind of went for him. So in England, it was the, the electorate and the franchise was fairly restricted to the elites, or, you know, elites and in inverted commas of society and the social elites. Who are, you know, so it was a very small strata at the top who actually had the right to, to vote. And this has been slowly extended to, you know, supposedly more middle class voters within England. Um, but the working classes still did not have the vote uh, you know, in at the start of the 1860s. So Disraeli actually comes in and in, in 1867, he enacts reform, which doubles the electorate. And Disraeli is part of the Conservative or Tories at the time. So, you know, that's quite conservative policy. And this was possibly out of character for him. And in that sense, he actually isolated a lot of conservatives within his government and his party um, by enacting this reform, which doubled the electorate in 1867. Uh, but then the problem was liberals ended up adding a lot of the radical elements to this bill. So it kind of remained unclear, actually, politically, where where this bill was coming from. Was it Disraeli's bill or, as Disraeli did pass it, and it was his government, but actually the liberals had added a lot of elements that were then accepted by Disraeli. So I guess the, the loyalties of the people who were enfranchised by this bill were, were slightly mixed. Uh and this, 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 this uh, you know, lack of clarity over who passed it, I guess, is reflected in the next election, where the the working class vote is resoundingly in favour of the Liberals, and Disraeli loses. 
So from this point, we could say, well, Disraeli obviously tried to use the his political tool and and failed. Uh, uh, you know, and and failed to do so effectively. However, in 1874, there's a clear bounce back as Disraeli now wins a majority of 50 seats and seems to almost secure a degree of loyalty from the working class, or at least their favour. And, you know, that kind of brings into question, actually, well, then, are the working class loyal to the Liberals? And I think this kind of also demonstrates the fact that to merely boil down these new voters as, like, binary, they will vote for the person who gave it to them or not, is, is probably too simplistic. In the cases of both the Roman Republic and in 19th century Britain, and especially the further you get from their granting of the vote, their political allegiances will, will you know, diversify and, and adapt to the political issues of the time. So in some ways it's a very short-term solution, granting more people the vote. Uh, so, but when Disraeli now, you know, he's, he's got this, he's got this mandate from, from the people and that he is back in government, he does seem to enact some real reform. So he has the Sale of Food and Drugs Act in 1875, the Education Act in 1876, and then other acts like the Factory Act, um, which were designed to protect workers. So overall, these are these are reform acts that would be quite favoured by um, the, the newly enfranchised voters. But again, confusingly, he loses 100 seats in 1818, and therefore loses the election. So this kind of oscillating between the Liberals and the Tories uh, between, uh, from the working class loyalty in their vote, I guess is an interesting concept, actually. You know, to what extent did did the, did the vote secure, sorry, did granting them the vote secure their loyalty? And I guess that stems back to, actually, who did grant them the vote in 1867? But what the real question I think we've decided to ask here is, was this a genuine concern of Disraeli? Or more political opportunism like we saw in Rome. So Disraeli did actually engage in a lot of um, rhetoric which would suggest it could possibly have been genuine. For example, he had very much like stuff like the two nations, rich and poor, and the Britain was separated. And he wrote a novel in 1845 called Sybil that, you know, advanced this, this view that actually he was quite concerned for the uh, working classes and a degree of, a greater degree of equality within within Britain. So I, I guess in the case of Disraeli, it's quite, I'd say it's significantly harder to tell than in the Roman Republic, where, you know, was this, there, there are signs it could have been genuine, but equally, uh, it, you know, it does seem to have also been used to some extent as a political tool, but if it was used as a political tool, it was not used particularly effectively. And I think my, my personal beliefs lie on the fact that it was more of a attempt to use it as a political tool, but it was mishandled. And in that sense, we can see he didn't seem to secure the loyalties that he thought he might do when he enacted reform originally in 1867. Uh, but overall, this these themes in both the Roman Republic and in 19th century Britain of who has the vote, who has the right to give them that vote, excuse me, um, this all seems to resonate with me, particularly uh, in the situation we have right now in terms of the aftermath of the US election, where there are huge issues around voter turnout, as this was the highest, you know, highest ever in numerical terms voter turnout, and one of the highest in, you know, percentage terms for, I think, until the 1990s. Um, and then, you know, 
allegations we've seen around postal voting. Are these real votes? Should postal votes be allowed? Who is enfranchised or disenfranchised when you allow them, especially in the context of a pandemic? And also the ability to vote. I mean, should should it be a national holiday voting? Uh, certain communities seem to have been systematically disenfranchised. It's harder for them to vote. And that was a key issue during the civil rights campaign where actually it can be legally enforced that um, African-Americans have the right to vote. But if you know there's one polling station and it's miles and miles away from their house and they have to queue for um, you know, hours and hours to do it, it's significantly harder for them to vote than in other areas. And also issues of gerrymandering and, you know, whether uh, how constituency lines are drawn up and where votes lie. And all these things kind of manipulate um, manipulate the vote. So I thought in the context of we've just had the election and declared in favour of in favour of Joe Biden, um, although Trump is obviously disputing uh, disputing that, but but really it kind of thought to of actually... Well, the Democrats seem to be the party that has this uh, reputation for trying to enfranchise more people and increase more voter turnout, especially in the current context where Trump is almost trying to disenfranchise everyone who had to vote by post this year, saying those ballots are corrupt and fraudulent. Uh, whereas, you know, the rhetoric of of um, the, the Biden campaign has been more everyone, you know, everyone should should vote. But equally, Trump's own campaign is, you know, the supporters are starting chanting stop the vote in one state and count all the votes in another it's all quite messy but it, but you know again we'll go back to this original point of the motivations that actually well democrats will significantly benefit from you know great greater enfranchisement as we can see that a lot of the people who've traditionally been disenfranchised uh, such as you know african americans or um you know less uh, affluent communities tend to vote tend to vote democrats so in that sense i guess is is this a is this a personal you know a selfish motivation in the Democrats that they just merely want more votes or are these people really passionate and uh, you know really invested in actually their communities and grants the vote to everyone? I think certain certain politicians like if we look at Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, I think it will be hard to say that she wasn't extremely passionate about granting the vote to everyone, but possibly more. Uh, you know, politicians who've been in the, you know, I don't want to say, in the, you know, in the game longer of politics. Um, is, the, is this more of a political calculation than a genuine compassion for equality and the fact that everyone should have the right to choose uh, who, who represents them in government? So, yeah, I think that, that kind of wraps it up for today. But we see from, you know, the first century BC and, and before through to 19th century Britain, through to the US election in America today. You know, the the, the act of granting someone the vote, who has that power, what, what that means for the electorate and who they will then vote for, are all issues which um, which are circulating you know, and still circulate. And to some extent, you know, they, they can never be fully, fully addressed. And the, whether this is motivated by genuine concern or political opportunism, I think is, is very hard to... Excuse me. It's very hard to distinguish whether you're looking back at you know the in you know the centuries before you know the BC first century BC or whether you're looking in you know early modern Britain or or today's society. But I mean, I seem to lay, lean on the side of actual 
in general, it seems to be more political opportunism than a genuine concern. But uh, but actually, in in the society today, as I mentioned with Ocasio Cortez in America, and also in 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 past societies, I think there must have been people who did have a genuine concern for um, for a greater degree of equality and the right to vote. But um, but yeah, I'm possibly slightly more pessimistic in my views that often they were political opportunists more than you know benevolent political leaders. But thank you for listening today. Uh, I hope it's been 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 enjoyable for you. And you know, please check out my other episodes if you if you'd like, and if you've enjoyed this one. And hopefully, I'll get uh, some more episodes out soon for everyone who likes likes to listen in. So thank you very much. Hope you're all having a good day. Thank you for listening.